Warning. Please note that this podcast contains strong language and touches on many topics that may not be considered appropriate for a work environment. If you choose to listen to this podcast where you can be overheard, we are not responsible for the consequences of your decision. You've been warned. Spoilers, people! This is a Noelis episode. Hi, my name is Bill, and this is We All Have an X Chromosome. While it's a Noelis... Noelis? Noelless episode, it is not just going to be me. This, what you're hearing now, is post-recorded from what was going on there. Where we do have an interview, not really interview, but a conversation between me and two of my friends about emotional processes. I'm not going to get into it. I get into it when I go in through my spiel at the beginning of that. But you're going to be listening to me speak with my friend Sky and my friend and now member of the We All Have an X Chromosome team, Huey, who is now our technical director as they are taking over the actual editing of the conversation aspect of this. 
this is going to be something that's going to help us out a lot in regards to this podcast, as it's going to give me and Noel more time to deal with other things to improve the podcast as a whole, such as giving more focus to being able to do things such as special topics or blog posts. If you want us to go over a specific topic, we're trying to be a little bit more topical instead of just rage-inducing, please give us a chance and go through and write us at the email address write us at xchromosomepodcast.com that's write us at xchromosomepodcast.com if you visit our website xchromosomepodcast.com that has all the links to all of our social media and it has the links to our patreon thank you patreon subscribers and links to donate individually in case you want to make a one-time donation via paypal now we're going to be working on trying to get things up, running, and improved. So having new members on the team are is helpful. And we just still want to hear feedbacks. Please go to your websites that you listen to your podcast, Apple, iTunes, whatever. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Give us your feedback. We want to hear it. So that being said, I'm going to get this over to the actual podcast part of the show and you're going to go through and hear me talk about spoilers again. Uh, there's going to be no outro, except the outro that I recorded at the time, so you're not going to hear Noel yelling this week. That being said, on with the show. And I don't have to kick Craig out, because I'm recording directly into Audacity. Spoilers, people! You might hear that again for the second time, but when we started this particular podcast, Noelle isn't here. She may pop up later. She may not pop up at all. But for everybody else, we wanted to go through to continue to make sure that we talk about issues that are important to everyone. One of the things that have been coming up in conversation is about processing and talking about and working on interpersonal emotions, so to speak. While people may have their friends, families, lovers, haters, villains, all the archetypes that you could find that make a relationship of any caliber, almost everybody that can afford one has some type of smartphone or access to the internet. And it's one of those things now that you could be constantly bombarded with not only information, but you're also getting bombarded with people that may need help or things that are going on in the world that actually like hit you where you live. It might not be a major thing. It could be anywhere from a trailer to a video to someone talking about a friend passing away or things like that. As everybody knows that listens to the podcast, Noelle is the anger. I am the crier. So it's one of those, and I've gotten angry too, of course. But what this is about is about going through and talking about how to process, how to deal, or how the fact that sometimes you can't even. So we have two guests today. These are personal friends. First, I'd like to go through and introduce Huey. Hey, what's up? I'm Huey. I'm non-binary and I'm an artist. So that's pretty much the summary of it. 
Huey knows Noel and I through Noel's vampire game that we talk about and we dropped hints about throughout the various podcast stuff, but they're also a part of my Monster of the Week game that I play too. So to be quite honest, me and Noel are both 40, and one of the reasons why I want Huey on there is to get a younger perspective of what might be going on that while we're all adults here, it's still an age difference that may be overlooked. So, and Huey just recently turned a quarter of a century old. God, I'm so old now. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I'd like to introduce my friend Sky. Hello, I'm Sky, and I'm Bill's non-monogamous friend. Sky has a good relationship with his partners, which will be only mentioned by initial, if mentioned at all. And I find that his relationships are a good indicator of a non-monogamous relationship should be like. But even with like any relationship, it has its own ways of having to go through and deal with emotions and things of that nature. So we're going to talk about emotions. So I'm going to ask you guys a question straight up that has has to do with more about the bombardment of things that come through on the internet, so to speak. Think about recently what you've looked at or seen or whatnot. What have you seen like through the internet, maybe a video or a trailer or conversation or something of that nature that came through and gave either a positive or negative emotion? Well, that's pretty interesting because I don't know about anyone else, but from my point of view and perspective, just in general, any kind of information, whether it's for entertainment purposes or, you know, research or whatnot, it's technically, I guess I would say fairly neutral in the sense of it is information, though I would say all information is definitely tinged with biases in general, especially since information kind of changes as time goes on. I think that in general specifics, I think it's not very recent, but just in general horror movies portrayals, for example, of mental illness as someone who struggles with a myriad of mental disorders or shows or media that portrays certain kinds of perspectives of gender and especially when it comes to more recent media of trans individuals, for example, that it may be the experience of the creators, because sometimes the creators are in fact belonging to their the respective groups, for example, but it's not the experience. And I feel like a lot of people tend to take one experience as the main only experience, you know? So I don't know, that's just generally how I've seen with just media in general. It's not the best portrayal of all groups or maybe they're not it's not the best portrayal of any group or anything you know i could see what you're talking about in that regard one of the things that popped up very recently and it gave me a reaction at work for example the sandy hook promise um have you guys heard of that not me all right it's basically organization that is basically trying to fight gun control issues basically get the guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have guns, basically. They just recently put out a quote-unquote back-to-school video that... Yeah, I saw that earlier today. Yeah, I I couldn't finish it at work because there was at one point where the girl is talking about how the new socks were going to come in handy, and she was using it as a tourniquet because someone was shot. And I was like, this is heavy. But at the same time... 
it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we need sometimes you need to be kicked in the face to understand what people are going through now. And it was one of those things where I was at work and I knew I was going to start crying. And I really couldn't be crying at my desk at my nine to five. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like differences because of age and stuff. I have a couple of friends who are younger. They're 18. And while I think that even though we're close in age, it's kind of wild to me because I've been growing up in the time where these kinds of issues in school have popped up more and more. But I remember a little bit of the time where it wasn't quite as intensive a fear to go to school, for example. But I also remember the shift between immediately the paranoia of being in school, especially because I'm Muslim. I went to a private Muslim school during, you know, the Bush administration. I remember almost it was such an immediate shift from, you know, everything's relatively fine, but almost immediate to we have to cancel school because someone's been threatening, you know, not from the school, outside of the school to hurt us for their own biases about that. And it's terrifying and strange. And I don't remember feeling quite as paranoid just for going out someplace because for example, going to a mall even now, I'm always nervous about what might happen, you know, and it's, it's strange and uncomfortable on good days. One of my partners is a school teacher. And so the, the idea of an event like that taking place and her being in the middle of it is absolutely terrifying to me just because I, I know her personality and she would not think twice about putting her body between danger and the children she teaches. And that, you know, that, that is very, very unsettling. It's also, I don't know, I, I also have a, a strange relationship to it as well, because it's, to me, this doesn't feel like a particularly new phenomena. When, when I was in high school, we had a thing we used to say as kind of a joke that, you know, like I wasn't there that day. We'd like say the name of our school and then say, I wasn't there that day. When in fact, you know, we were all there that day. And this was, you know, like over 20 years ago and there was a, you know, um, but, um, you know, we had a, a shooting at, at our school. It was, like the kind of thing that only made the local news, you know, like Sandy Hook happened like years later, you know, like to think that it was such a, you know, isolated and small thing back when, when I was in high school. And now it's the kind of thing where like everyone knows about it and everyone is affected and touched by it. I've heard some people, some teachers who like talk about one of the first things they think of is, I, I hope I don't have to protect the these kids that I teach and pretty much every day. And that's such a normal aspect of their jobs and careers. And it's terrifying because it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be the first thing that you think of when you go into work, when it comes to teaching people, especially. It should be about, I want to help these kids learn uh, whatever subject I'm teaching. And it's weird that it's such a normal now, the immediate thought of, I, I don't know about other people, but Maybe it's my personal paranoia, but the idea of, all right, where where's the closest exit I can get out of in case something happened? Or what's the big, biggest place for safety in case something happens? 
Yeah, there's a certain trauma to it too. You know, you know, she she comes home after they do like these drills. They they do these drills like a few times a year where the the police will come in and the police try to like kick in doors and they bang on things and they set off firecrackers and whatnot. Um, and you know, the the teachers have to like use what's available to them to close off barricade doors and you know like usher people to safety. Um, and it's like changed the way that she thinks about her environment, which is in one way kind of cool because it's like a problem solving thing and it's neat kind of, you know, we all like to like think about zombie apocalypse stuff, you know, we don't, you know, if you think about it in that context, it's neat, but you know, like she's come up with ideas about like how to use her belt to jam a door or how to use her coat to, to tie up the, the auto closer on a door to make it so that it can't be opened. The fact that they, they have to put that kind of thought into what an environment that should just be safe and nurturing, you know, like that, that, that voice has to be in the back of their head you know, and it it does affect her. Like she, the first few weeks of any new school year, you know, is it's a lot of emotional management. You know, she's very raw. She's she's got all these new students. She doesn't know them. She doesn't know how to read their reactions. You know, everyone is is sort of, you know, there's always that that you know with with young teenagers, there's always that like pecking order stuff, like not bullying, but you know, jabbing. And, you know, so she doesn't know how to read it, how to react to it. And so it just makes her extra tense. And that, like, having to be present and emotionally sensitive to it uh, to help ease her through it is is not just hard on her, but it's it's hard on the entire family. Yeah, one of the things that it's also was mentioned is there was a teacher's account recently of a fire alarm that went off in the school because there wasn't a set for a drill that day. And... None of the kids wanted to leave the room because they're like, yeah, but is this actually a fire or did someone pull the alarm to have people come out so they could start shooting us? And this whole thing is affecting people in ways that now you're not only worried, not not only are you harming your safety because it might be a false alarm because of someone that wants to possibly shoot up as many people as they can, but you're causing your reactions to stop another thing that might be happening, which could be a fire that you need to escape. And you're not going to know that because it might be too late for you to do anything by because of smoke or carbon monoxide or anything that might be going through to that might be affecting you in that regard. So it's one of those things where people are getting, as Huey mentioned, it's not just the schools now. It's like going to the shopping mall. Everything is now a target. We brought up briefly, like, what if this happens at a convention? Yeah, I remember going to a convention last year, and it was a you know normal anime convention, but there's always that tinge of fear. There's a lot of people who are nerds here and you don't know what kind of nerd because sometimes nerd culture pushes people into unsavory groups like uh, white supremacist or Nazi groups um, just inherently because of how people who tend to be nerds tend to flourish online more than anything else, you know? And it's terrifying, especially in conventions with all the people there, all the bodies that are just around you constantly. Even if it's a big convention, there's so many people. And 
you know, what's to stop someone from hurting so many people? What's to, and is escape possible? Is being safe possible? That kind of thought process. And it's, it's, as I said, it's uncomfortable and scary on a good day. Yeah, one of the it's one of those things where now the way that things are going through with life, it's making us have to think of other aspects. Now, Huey brought up the internet. I have multiple Twitter accounts, not only for this podcast and my other podcasts, but due to friends, playful pokes at me, um, I had opened up another Twitter account. People on the on this podcast know I'm a fan of professional wrestling, so I went through and did a a fun Twitter just to play around with the fact that I'm going to be doing poetry next month for my next term of my class. But one of the things that I was while I'm going through and reading Twitter and people that are fo- I'm following and things that are in the news, one of the Twitter followers that one of the people I was following on Twitter mentioned. They found out their friend died because of anorexia, which brings in the body issues that comes through and things of that nature. And uh, many people were like, we're sorry for your loss. You said it's a good friend. No one should go through that. We're sorry that they had to go through that. But at the same time, this woman that's basically mourning her friend is getting bombarded with Oh, who cares? She should have eaten a sandwich. And it's not a, at this time, it's not about what your friend should have, could have, would have done. It's like, have some empathy. This person just lost their friend. They're going to need to go through and break down and grieve. Yeah, it's just spreading maliciousness and hurting other people. And I guess the anonymity of the internet, the asp idea of just you don't see a person face to face, it makes people feel stronger to say these kinds of malicious words and repeat malicious attitudes and stuff. And, you know, it it's terrible, you know, even though I know, you know, more recently, the internet's not quite as anonymous as it used to be, but it's still there's still a, almost like a barrier for people to just be mean for no reason. I think it's also to a degree, it's easy to objectify somebody when you can't look them in the eyes. When they're just a username, you know, like it's a little bit less easy if you're in a voice channel like this, where, you know, like you have to hear them and you have to hear their emotional response. But in text, when you don't have to look someone in the eyes, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to just see them as a piece of entertainment. Um, and then, you know, you're just trying to, you're just being a jerk because some sick part of you gets off on that. I, I agree with that. I also feel just in general, it's like any kind of feelings people already have, it's just a way to amplify it, you know, cause there's so many misconceptions, for example, in this case about anorexia, and like how it affects other people and yeah there are inf- there is information out there about that but it's people who have already made up their mind about how anorexia functions or, or how they view people who are anorexic it, it's it's a way of them saying it online freely and to other people directly but it's still kind of f- freely in comparison to saying it in real life and in 
at the same time, the internet could be a great positive atmosphere. We're not saying that internet is bad, but for minorities or people that are in different aspects of life and things of that nature, you have our targets and things of that nature. So, but at the same time, you go through to try to find any support systems. Some of them can be really good support systems. You might find friends that are going to have your back. I know when I just briefly mentioned one day that I have, for the rest of the week, all I'm going to be eating is my 99-cent loaf of bread and peanut butter. And someone's like, dude, you need to eat more than that. And they just sent me money. And while they sent me money, what I didn't know was that two people ordered me delivery. Because they're like, no, this isn't good. You're going to go through and you're going to eat. And I'm like, look, I said that for a different reason. It's not that I didn't have other food. (laughs) Um, But it was like, I never met any of these people that did this in real life. I've only talked to them or I've talked to them over that. So it's like, it's a great support function of that. But then, as Huey mentioned, not only do you have white supremacists, you also have things like the incel community that feel like their that community is their only refuge. And you start getting into the darker places on the web. It leads into more tropes, and not really a trope because it is an issue, of toxic masculinity and things of that nature. And sometimes the internet can be like the worst place to try to figure out your emotions, but if you're lucky, it could be a great place. Um, how do you guys balance things that you hear about your respective issues through the internet? How do you try to balance balance, or can you balance at all? It's kind of like what I said earlier is like how information is sort of neutral. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm tacking a big like star on that because, you know, as I said, all information can also be tinted with biases from you know whatever groups and it can and it's always in general is changing and altering with new information new research and whatnot i feel like when it comes to these groups and i used to be in a lot of fairly toxic mental health groups and it wasn't toxic in the sense of people were being outright malicious as in because you know as i said i I've been on the internet since I was a kid and there has been such a big shift. And previously, if you express any kind of mental health, people would immediately tell you, why don't you kill yourself or something of the like. Well, they still Um, do that today, but go ahead. Well, they still do that today, but it's, it's less, I would say less common. Maybe it's not less common, but there's more people on the internet now that it feels less common. But these groups, these mental health groups that I was a part of, they weren't professional in any sense. It was more like connecting people with the same struggles and whatnot, but it would kind of end up being almost like we fed into each other's negativity consistently. And I don't, I don't fault anybody who was part of those groups and I don't fault myself or anybody. It, it was clear that we were all mentally ill, just turned adults or kids who didn't particularly know how to cope with the mental illness that we have and struggle with. And so it just ended up being kind of such a negative influence. I've 
broken off from these kinds of groups when I realized how much of a negative impact it was. But at the time it was, it felt good because it felt like it was almost validating, but is, but sometimes validating negative habits, negative thought, negative experiences, it's, it's not a good thing. I, there's, there's a difference between saying, yes, you struggle with this and that's okay. And a difference between going, yes, you struggle with this, you should continue. And it felt like a lot of these groups were the latter, you know, this idea of depression food. Yeah. I just eat like you said, I just eat bread and peanut butter all week and that's fine. And then it's like, it's haha, it's a funny joke. Me too. And it almost turned into a series of, yeah, I, I eat nothing all day or I don't do these kinds of steps to take care of myself or whatever. And it just ended up going from, it, it ended up just going from like a joke or whatnot to this is how much we don't take care of ourselves. And it just made it worse and worse. So instead of eating just bread and peanut butter for a week, it ended up being, well, that's all I've eaten all month. I love peanut butter. Yeah, well... It's okay. <laughs> just saying. Well, for me, the reason... And the thing is, I mentioned bread and peanut butter, but I actually have a positive connotation for it in this case. I am, I'm a fat bastard. I'm no doubt about that. I'm... That's just stating fact. That's not me being, too. Don't worry. That's not being negative <laughs> or anything like that. But when I was really little, like, like from five to seven, I was really, really skinny to the point that my mom used to compare me to the kids on the Sally Struthers commercials, which uh, Huey is actually too young to know about in that regard. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. Basically, Sally Struthers was an actress that would be on TV about feeding the children in Ethiopia. And they, were, they would show pictures of malnourished kids on the TV for 10 cents a day, you could be feeding children type thing. She would bring me to the doctor all the time, worried about my weight. And my the pediatrician would say that I'd be fine. Don't worry about it. But she was so worried that she'd wake me up in the middle of the night just to feed me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a glass of milk. Because she was worried that I wasn't getting enough food. And that was like the only time during the course of the day that. My mom took time out just for me. So it was like, yeah, a peanut butter sandwich is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. And it's like a positive depression food, so to speak. That's fair. <laughs> but the thing is, when people hear some like, I've only eaten this for a week, it's like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, nothing's wrong. It's like, I'm just going through, so I'm going through things that I have to deal with. The groups that you just talked about sounds like that they were like more enabling the continuation of the issue. Does that sound? Oh yes, yes, definitely. I mean, my my depression food was not peanut butter and and bread. It was similar. It was just ketchup and mustard on, on bread. So <laughs> you know, it it's it's this concept of just continuing a negative habit of some kind. Not necessarily that your yours is a negative habit, but it, it was the immediate thought come to mind because I, I know a lot of people's depression food is just peanut butter, which is kind of why I don't particularly like peanut butter anymore. <laughs> I, I used to eat whole jars of them. So <laughs> I, I feel like, see, like, and it's really, it's a hard line 
to to walk when you're trying to be supportive with somebody and like the the line between being supportive and then enabling bad behavior and it's 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 difficult to see even in the best of situations i'm you know in a few groups very similar you know to that you know i have a history with uh cancer and so i'm in a support group for cancer survivors and you know like it is it is very difficult to when you're you're talking with other survivors dealing with you know talking with people who you know they're dealing with the same issues that you are you know it's it's hard not to sympathize to the point where you are just sort of feeding into you know that that same kind of the, those same emotions that you're trying to process yourself I, I think that's part of the reason why it's important to have like someone else like not just sitting in those groups yeah i i have had I've had some some difficulty. Actually, Bill Bill knows about this because we talked about it before. I've I've had some difficulty finding other non-monogamous relation, like couples or throuples or constellations that are in a, a similar place in life to myself. And you know, I've I've gone into a lot of different online groups to try to find people in that phase of life, and it's very frustrating because I've just keep running into the same the same toxic behaviors over and over and over again and the way i've had to deal with it is i i just i've been just divesting myself from those groups as soon as you know as as soon as those buttons get pushed as soon as i end up in a situation that i feel is toxic i, I have a question for you just for it. clarification for those that aren't in this type of relationship what is a type of toxic issue that people in your types of relationships might see in these groups? It's difficult to generalize just because when you're talking about non-monogamy or, or polyamory, you know, you're, you're talking about something that is a, a very broad scope. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of people do their relationships very differently. But, you know, uh, as an example of something that I find very frustrating when I'm, you know, trying to find a, a group you know, very frequently it's uh, people who uh, have been in long-term monogamous relationships and they're in a rocky patch of some kind. You know, maybe someone just cheated, maybe they're losing their spark or whatever, and they think that non-monogamy is the answer, that they will find some magical third person that fixes their relationship. And then they come into non-monogamous circles looking for that magical person. And, you know, we call it unicorn hunting. And it's, it's very common and it's, it can be hidden in a lot of different ways. And, you know, you end up, you know, people just come in and they start asking for advice and they'll be very friendly and then you'll be talking to them. And then, you know, like it, you know, what starts off as a friendly conversation, you know, in sort of a platonic way turns into like this aggressive courtship. You know, it doesn't happen to me personally that often, but, you know, like partners of mine get very aggressively courted in that way. Yeah, on occasion. I, I remember a couple of stories that you mentioned about being at the gym in that regard and comments that were made toward you about that. I was like, and when I read that, I was like, really, dude, not about you, about the comments themselves. Yes, uh, a lot of times, especially when you're dealing with like the the standard, you know, macho, toxic, masculine guy, when they find out or when they, you know, like 
figure out that you're non-monogamous, the first thing they think is that like that you're living a porn movie and they want in, you know, or they they think of it, you know, maybe if they're a little bit nerdier, they think it's like, you know, a, a harem anime instead. And like, you know, they don't think about it in the the context of, you know, the feelings of the people involved. They're just objectifying the dynamic and thinking, oh, I could, you know, be getting lots of group sex. So in regards to that dynamic, um, how do you balance the emotional aspects of a relationship like this? Uh, I mean, how do I balance the, rela- the the emotional aspects of my relationship? Because it, um, it's one of those things. That's where, a very broad right, question. So, in a in a monogamous relationship, you basically would deal with the comings and goings of your partner. They might have their own non. They might have their own relationships, friendships, family relationships, things like that that are important to them, but they are only with you in a romantic love sense in that regard. Uh, romantic love, not like personal love or family love or friend love or things like that. It's all love, but it can... You it's you have love but not be romantically involved because you love them for who they are, but there's no romant- romanticism in them in that case. Since you have multiple partners in that regard, is... And I could be coming from this completely off base, too. And feel free to say, hey, Bill, you're wrong. But you have more, you have multiple partners, so you have to deal with, I, I know that the probably the ground thing is having good and open communication. That would be the obvious answer. In that regard. How do you personally, not it, it just like internally, externally, or things of that nature, work through any emotional issues that you have and to not only make sure that your relationships are healthy, but to make sure that you also don't go insane. Because I know personally that I wouldn't be able to do that because I have to really compartmentalize people in that regard just so I can manage. I think one thing that I've found that uh, it's come up in conversations before, and I think it's one thing that maybe I do differently than other people, is that like I don't really separate different kinds of love. I mean, there are different behaviors, different activities one undertakes depending on like the boundaries of a relationship. But like if someone, if you're in a relationship with someone who's a romantic, you can still have a fulfilling relationship with them, but they're never going to experience romance because that's not in their wheelhouse. And the same can be said if they're asexual or somewhere in that spectrum. You know, like the you can still have a very fulfilling, beautiful relationship with someone who's demi or gray ace or asexual, and it will never be sexual because they don't experience sexual desire, but it is still a powerful, you know, loving connection. And so I think that may be something that like I approach a little differently. I'm not going to say that like you're, you're, I'm not going to call you wrong. I'm just going to say that like I, I approach the emotion differently. Now, like as far as how I, how I manage it, I mean, the, the short answer is very carefully, <laughs> you know, like the, there's always the, the risk of 
becoming polysaturated, which is a funny term, but you know, just like you have too many people in your life and you don't have enough emotional bandwidth to give everyone everything that they need. You know, like I recently uh, hit a wall emotionally and I needed help. You know, I just had some big things going on and had a bit of a breakdown. But after I got help and, you know, like the, the wall that I hit broke down and like I flushed through it, all of a sudden, you know, like I had all of this new emotional energy. And because like I like was refreshed in it, all of a sudden, like my, my relationship, which is not in like the new relationship phase on any of the relationships, because we've the, the shortest relationship in my constellation is four years. So it's not like that. But um, because I had all that new energy and because like, you know, everything felt fresh again, suddenly there was this big rush of like new relationship energy in the relationship. There was like people, it was like feeling like, you know, that, that infatuation all over again. And things got like, you know, and, and that can also lead to nervousness and people not knowing where, like where they stand on things and, you know, like a lot of, a lot of tension and whatnot. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, everyone got really annoyed with me because like, you know, I was suddenly like super snuggly and like wanting to cling on people. And, you know, um, they were just like throwing cats at me to make me stop. I would like to say that we at, we all have an X chromosome approved uh, to, of snuggling cats. Even if you have to throw cats at people to be snuggled. <laughs> oh yeah, I snuggle every cat. I'm still allergic to them, but I don't care. <laughs> uh, you mentioned about like emotional energy and stuff, and I kind of want to build off of that um, just because I feel like that you're speaking in the context of relationships, but I think that it kind of ties into like the what I'm mentioned about those kinds of groups and stuff about this emotional energy that people have in general you know people have their spoons for doing things and stuff um but also just in general it's people have the energy have a certain limited amount of energy for interacting with people uh, whether it's friends or family or uh strangers that i, I saw a post that was like uh you can't serve from an empty vessel and about it it's be it was about how you can't you can't help people you can't be there for people if you just don't have the energy so it's important to take care of yourself first and well i think that in my politics i think about uh uplifting communities and being and forming a sense of community and being there for other people but it's important to also take a step back sometimes to make sure that your yourself, your brain is healthy and your body and your emotional state and whatever is, is healthy. And you're putting yourself in a state where you're not hurting yourself for overextending. Yeah. I, I understand that in the sense of while you guys, while you're, it's mentioned with emotional energy, it could really just be about emotions for someone that runs and works on multiple podcasts. I'm very much an introvert and going in my day jobs, like I'm always in a customer service job because most jobs that many introverts are attracted to bore the living shit out of me. Um, so I go to these customer service jobs and I expend what I would say is 
additional emotional labor, emotional energy just to keep up the extroversion that I have to get through my work day. And then it's like I'm wiped out. And what you just described, Huey, to me is like borrowing borrowing energy from the next day to continue things that you might have to do today. And it's could easily go through and wear somebody out. Um, Scott, Sky, do you ever have emotional energy deficits? I, I, I absolutely have emotional energy deficits. It's just it, before, you know, before I, I had that breakthrough recently, like I was, abs- I was drained all the time. It's just that, you know, like right now I'm in a phase where I have an abundance of energy, not necessarily an abundance of patience for, you know, random strangers, but I have like an, an overabundance of energy for the people right. that are. I understand that me. in that regard, because it's one of those things like, no matter how drained I am, if someone needs me for something, I will stop whatever recharging I'm doing just to help. Um, there was this meme thing going on that was pointing out that like you're in a you're watching TV with a friend and you want to drink but just don't have the energy to get up. But your friend mentions wanting a drink too. Since they want to drink, you then put the will together to get up and get get both of you drinks. You know, that, that actually, I, I relate very strongly to that. Be, and I, I think that may be also part of why, like, uh, in spite of the fact that I don't have a lot of energy or patience for strangers, I have a lot of energy for my, my family and my constellation because I, I, do, I do take a very caregiver role in my relationship. You know, I am, I'm Hufflepuff through and through. Hufflepuff represent. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll have to Absolutely. be the Gryffindor of the group. <laughs> <laughs> no, and see if Noelle was here. She she's also Gryffindor, kicking and screaming Gryffindor because she's only reason that she, I say that she's Gryffindor is because the Pottermore said she was, but she's like I'm a Slytherin, damn it! But I hate the books too, so don't worry. <laughs> but she's but yeah, so we accept all houses. They all have their positive points. Not all Slytherin are evil. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, like Slytherins have their place in the world. T is a uh, straight up Slytherin. And without her, I don't think I would make it through a lot of things in life because I'm just, um, I don't necessarily have that ability to, to put the hard stop that, that she does. And she can just sort of, you know, grab me I by wouldn't the have guessed T being Slytherin, to be quite honest. I would have flagged her as Ravenclaw, to be quite honest. I have a confession. I actually have never read Harry Potter or actually watched the movies other than the first movie. So. See, if I knew you before Alice, I would have tried to talk you into the podcast that wound up becoming Alice in Muggleland. Because Alice is a friend of mine for many, many years, and she never read the books. So now we're doing the podcast going chapter by chapter of all the books, talking about them through her eyes as a first-time reader. But we're not even talking about the books themselves. It's more about what the houses represent. Yeah. Just to sort of go off of the previous point with regards to energy and stuff. And I think a lot of that also reflects online because I feel like a lot of, you mentioned about how you get your extrovert energy out in customer service and stuff like that. And I feel like it's not 
an entirely blank, it's not a blanket statement, but I think that a lot of people who are in specific internet groups, whether it's positive or negative, actually get their social interaction through that. I know I do. Ever since graduating, because I've graduated recently, I have had little to no social interaction outside of on my online presence, mostly because all my friends ha- have full-time jobs and I'm the animation industry is very difficult to break into. But because of that, I've noticed my energy for dealing with social interactions as a general has gone way down. I've got, I recently went to a concert on Saturday and I didn't realize how many people I realized that there were going to be a lot of people, but I didn't realize how much energy it was going to take out of me. Um, And I didn't realize how much I rely on internet interactions as a social interaction, just as a daily thing. And I think a lot of these online groups kind of start off as sort of like the need for some kind of social interaction for whatever reason. Like we mentioned in cell groups. Um, and I, you know, I think that a lot of people who go into these kinds of groups don't go in because they immediately hate women or of the like. I think they start off as people who see themselves in a negative light or don't feel like they properly fit into, you know, certain groups and stuff, or they struggle uh, with social interaction for, you know, whatever reason. And then the idea within the incel groups, the ideas that are spread end up becoming like, they drag these kinds of vulnerable people really down and end up almost brainwashing them to these kinds of, I hate women or all women, you know, are out to get me. And unfortunately, it leads to some kind of violence and stuff. And whether it's, you know, it's violence towards, you know, one or two people within their life or many, many people who and various degrees of violence, whether it's, you know, not to say that anything is less than another, but whether it's abuse or death or anything of the like. And I feel like it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. I feel like I feel like it's a it's a matter of vulnerability. One of the things that I I struggle with, like from a, a masculinity standpoint, is self reflection. More specifically, like look not just like personal reflection, but self reflection upon my own history. You know, because like my my views on feminism and on you know like equality, gender equality, yada yada yada, like the the whole spectrum of things have changed so much over time. And when I look back on the person that I was, you know, before I hate that person and like, it, it makes me sick to think that I was that person and it, it leads to this spiral of negativity. So when like, for, for example, I have not always been ethically non-monogamous. I would say that arguably I've always been non-monogamous, but not always ethically so because I didn't come to the ethics part until, you know, I was in my twenties. And like, I recently got back in touch with an old friend who was one of my high school sweethearts. And the first thing I did was like apologize to them for how horrible I was because, you know, like when I say one of my high school sweethearts, I mean, I I, I went through like, you know, until college i was like consistently with like four different people and i didn't understand the ethics of how you behave in that environment yet like i was still an idiot or more of an idiot than i am now and 
you know, so I mean, like, I, I, I felt like this deep need to to apologize to her. And she laughed at me because she didn't feel like I had anything I really needed to apologize for. And, you know, that was very, you know, affirming. But at the same time, you know, like, yeah, you look back on it and like, you know, that you, you didn't do right by that person, even though you yeah, like to think I, you did. I feel your pain in that regard. Granted, I didn't really have a lot of relationships in general. However, the way that I am now and how I'm thinking about things and previous other relationships or friendships or anything like that, and I things that I may have said or done or things like that, I'm like, yeah, I... Well, it's all about, you know, trying to get better and trying to be a better person. You know? That's one of the things about toxic and non-toxic masculinity, though. Sometimes in the way that certain men can see things is that no matter what mistakes you made in the past, they're always going to come back up and you're never going to be able to do anything that will fix the mistake because... It is always there. Michael Vick, for example, ran a dog fighting ring, basically. He was punished for it. He did get, wind up getting back his jobs as an NFL quarterback, but people were like saying, no, 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 you don't need to get a job that you want because you did this crime, even though you served your time that was required to you by law. You did the, and even though he's done every, anything that he could, Afterwards, to try to be a better person, show that he's rehabilitated, worked on getting that. It always gets something that's brought up. And it's one of those, and I find that, I think that men see things that are always brought up with other men, no matter how hard they've tried to fix it or address it or anything like that, that they constantly replay their mistakes and it uh, may affect them long term. I know that I replay my mistakes a lot and the mistakes are hard to even talk to even with even with therapy. It's like some things that you're like is like I don't know how to fix this because it's one of those things like I can see how easily this can be misconstrued or anything like that, and no matter what I do to try to fix it, it's always going to be there to haunt me for anybody that wants to bring it up. At the same time, certain things are horrendous shit that everybody needs to know, like Brock Turner, for example. I don't think there there necessarily is a way to fix it, and I don't think that that's necessarily a problem either. You know, like, the you can't erase the a mistake certainly you can't erase damage that you've done to somebody else you know they and they're not required to forgive you if you apologize all you can do is be a better person live a better life and you know maybe you prove that you're worthy of their forgiveness and then they'll give it to you but you know like I think that, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I feel like doesn't get talked about enough, though, is that the, you know, if, if you're, if you're, you're dealing with these things as a, if you're, if you're addressing the indoctrination of being, you know, raised a toxic male, the depression and the, 
crisis that comes from, you know, looking back on past relationships where you thought you were doing right by somebody. And in turn, like, in, instead, you, you realize that you hurt someone you love or someone you care for or someone you respect. And yeah, you know, sometimes you get See, forgiven and, about it and sometimes like you don't. Personal forgiveness. Like, if, if, if it's not just like going back and like apologizing or trying to fix something you did to one person. I'm talking about like the one person finds out that this is something that happened. And even though you and that person that something happened with may have sat down, talked about everything through, came up to figure out how to fix this. And it might be fine between you and that person because you communicated with that person. You've discussed things with that person and you worked out the issue and things of that nature, but just something that may come out just from that knowing, it spreads through, and next thing you know, oh, this person goes through and likes to kick puppies because I accidentally kicked Chewie's puppy, and even though everything is fine, I'm a professional puppy kicker. I'm just saying that as a not-so-obvious thing. Don't kick puppies. I don't say kick puppies, but... Um, they're, I don't, I don't even have a puppy. <laughs> All right. Kick your possum. You don't have one of those either. <laughs> um, God, I wish, <laughs> but it's one of those things like you could be perfectly fine with somebody else, but if someone else hears about it and it sounds wrong, it becomes another big thing. And no matter what, ha it, it's one of those things. Like I feel that when I talk to other men about this type of thing, it's something that's on the back of their minds. And it's one of those things that's hard to go through and process. Like, I know there are things that I did as a teenager that most people that at the time wouldn't give a shit about now. But if it came out like, say, and this did not happen, but say, but I did live in the South, but this did not happen. Say in the future, I run for governor, and it turns out that there's a yearbook photo of me in blackface. I no matter how much I go through and fess up about, in fact, Trudeau is going through something similar right now. Um, no matter how much I'm like, I was a stupid kid. I didn't know any better. I've learned from that. I've grown, things like that. I'm still going to be labeled a racist because when I was 16, I was in black, in blackface because I was doing a student production or something like that. And someone found a yearbook. So it's like one of those things like with the internet, sometimes I would say outrage culture. Everything keeps on going through your minds of all the stupid shit you might have done as a kid or any time that what is going on, how to deal with this. And it it goes into one of those it goes into one of those toxic spirals that you have to be able to try to figure out how to drag yourself out of. That's just my thought pattern in that regard. I think in general, I agree with Sky, especially on the whole aspect of sometimes you can't really expect forgiveness um, from people. I think that if someone is going through this kind of toxic spiral, on one hand, it's kind of a good thing because that means you're trying to be a better person. On the other hand, yes, it is a toxic spiral, which is not a good thing to encounter at all. I'm not a guy. So I don't experience this through the eyes of toxic masculinity or anything. 
But I think in general, it's something you have to work on yourself. And I'm saying this in the personal experience as well, um, in the sense of I was not a good person either, especially as someone who struggled severely with mental disorders, which turned out that I was mean, I was harsh, I was I was toxic to people that I cared about. And, you know, on some level, I'm, I can think that perhaps they were as well and they would admit this. I'm, I'm not living their life. I'm, but it's something that you need to come to acceptance, I think, uh, yourself, that this is a sign, this is an aspect of my past. And, you know, I can relate this to art in some way. Whenever I look at my old art, I cringe. I hate it. It looks terrible. But that means you're better now. It means you've improved. And that's what's important. I think that that should be the focus of trying to improve and try to be better. And yeah, I do think that this whole outrage culture aspect is kind of a big thing that if you mess up one thing, everyone's going to call you out and it's going to be a calling out forever thing in some ways but I also think that on some level that's it's kind of a sign of a good thing is what I'm trying I guess is a better way of saying it um it's it means that people in general are trying to be better are trying to get better and it's it's a good thing as as a whole but yeah I do agree I think sometimes outrage culture or whatever it's called I know people call it call out culture I hate the phrase I get what it means because the phrase has this double-edged sword. To I hated, it. even when I said the words "outrage culture," I hated saying it. Oh yeah, because people are using it as, "Well, I did this bad thing." Call out culture. It's it's terrible, isn't it? And it's like, well, you kind of did a very terrible thing, and you're clearly not remorseful or trying to be a better person. But it is a phrase that has been used for people who do experience remorse or have apologized and want to be better themselves and whatnot. So it's, again, a double-edged sword, um, which I think a lot of internet culture in general is just a giant double-edged sword. And yeah, I think that it is a huge problem um, that people seem to not understand that people are people. And it kind of ties into this whole idea of on the internet, they don't see or hear um, or interact with people directly. So it's it's more like a person is almost like a character, a cartoon character rather than an individual. And, you know, people make mistakes. People mess up all the time and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It Getting better is what should be the focus, whether it's getting better yourself, like emotionally, or getting better at talking to people, getting better at trying to form a community and stuff like that, that should in general kind of be the big focus. I feel. All right. I've just been informed by Noelle that she has died in the sense of she is not fit to listen to. Um, if she pops into the recording setup, she's probably going to be muted just to listen in, but she's not feeling well. So hopefully she will feel better. All right. So is there... Anything about topics that we spoke about or other things that we might have pre-talked about or ideas that have popped in your head that we've talked about that you want to go through and express or anything of that nature? This is for both of you. I actually think that everything we talked about, all like, like Huey was saying just a moment ago, everything we talk about really tied back into the same thing, which I thought was pretty interesting. The idea that, you know, everything just sort of comes back to 
the dehumanizing or objectifying of people. I mean, in general, kind of I weird. think that's just a frequent part of media. It hap- it's it's happened on TV. It's going to happen on the internet. It just internet is so much more, more accessible by an average person. Like, you can't just step into TV or something, especially in the past. I think now it's a lot more common. If you get popular enough, you have a chance at being on television. But and, you know, in the past, this people have been objectified for a very long time. I know that celebrities have said multiple times about how they feel, especially if, unfortunately, if you look at child celebrities who people are creepy and wait till they're 18 for it to be, almost be, ah, uh, yes, this is legal to objectify them now. Um, but, uh, but I think it happens so frequently on the internet because of the aspect of like everyone has access to internet or has the potential to have access to internet. And especially now, um, it's almost like a requirement, which I mean, we can get into classism and how that factors in, but it's pretty much almost a requirement to have a computer and internet access. I have not physically written anything out in years. So I think the whole objectification and dehumanization of people, it's always kind of been a thing. It's just now everybody can do it and everyone can be objectified and dehumanized. All right. So I think that will, that's a good way, place to go through, get this up. I'd like to thank both of you for showing up and talking through with this. Sadly, Noel could not be with us for this. Is there anything else that you'd like to say on topic, off topic, anything like that? Just in general, you know, thank you for having me here. And also just in general, try to be like the best person you can be uh, and try to be a better person, you know, in general. And I think that's kind of like, that should be the focus of living to, and you don't have to be there right immediately. You don't have, there is a journey to it. And I'm sure that everyone is going to always be on that journey. And I think it's just important to want to be better. Thank you for having me. I uh, had a lot of fun doing this. I don't really feel like I have anything as profound as, as Huey just said. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna leave their comment where it is. All right. Uh, so well said. Noel is not here to kick out the bot. So we don't have any extra, any, uh, any outros. Everything is awkward. Um, I want to just go through and right now steal what one of her murderinos had said um we are we all have next chromosome but people need to be accomplices not allies so get out craig and that's usually how we go through and and everything with that usually noel will go through and yell at the bot until i drop this next thing into the chat and actually get rid of the bot if I can write chat room.